Hey everybody, we're getting towards the end of the year here now. We've got a couple of podcasts left before we end 2014 and move on to a brand new year. Uh, this one is, uh, I won't say it's not serious, uh, but uh, it's a little sillier than our normal ones. We were in New York City last week for a board meeting. I was able to get uh, Andrew Burleson, our board chair, and Jim Kuman to sit down with me and chat for a little bit. We actually recorded two podcasts that evening. The next one we'll play next week is a, a lot more serious. This one's a little bit fun, break from normal. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you get a chance, we're still uh, in our membership drive, working to get 800 members by the end of the year. I know from a podcast standpoint, it's a little hard to remember when you put the headphones down to head over to the computer and do that. If you're around now, go to strongtowns.org. Sign up to become a member today. Help us meet our 800-member goal by the end of the year and keep doing what you can to build a strong town. You're listening to The Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast, New York uh, Airbnb version. I'm here with Andrew Burleson and Jim Kuman. We are in a hovel of a place, live from Brooklyn. Yeah, it's from Brooklyn. Out yeah. Here. Oh, you. This is this a, is this nice. Is, this, this is like classy. <laughs> this is a two-hole bedroom apartment. Yeah. In Brooklyn. No, I'm. I'm not going to complain. Like right over a subway station. This is like. The Ritz. We're right down the street from a subway. We're, we're like we're, we're like, directly above a Chinese restaurant. We're That's shouting. True. We're shouting. Jay Z just lives right down the street here, right? At, at is the, that what at, it is? Well, yeah, of course, because it's it's the it's the Nets stadium over here. Oh, so, yeah, it's the new the new stadium. New I think arena. it's important to point out that we are having such a successful New York experience. That we got Chuck to eat at a German restaurant. <laughs> Jim and I took Chuck. Are we to gonna a talk German about what restaurant. I actually ordered? Was, no, we don't need to go. Okay, because that would be details. embarrassing for everybody. <laughs> they didn't have a kids menu, so I wound up getting a pretzel uh, with a side order of French fries for a low carb diet. But it looked like a good fries and a good pretzel, so you know. <laughs> they didn't have Coke, so I just had to drink water, and now I'm enjoying. A New York Mountain Dew, which I'm not really sure what the New York label on top is. Mm. Maybe there's some like special law here that if you make Mountain Dew, but my question would be then where's the mountain that this dew is coming from? Because there's no mountains <laughs> in this state. Yeah, there are. I mean, I mean not in like, oh, but there is in New York. Not in, I was going to say not in New York City. Yeah. So like you have, you have to collect the dew somewhere off beaches. of a mountain. They ship it down the Hudson. Lots of beaches. They ship it down the Hudson? Dude, everything, we're, we're, we're in New York. Everything gets here by boat. It comes on a boat. That's all that matters. That's all that matters? No one okay. cares. All right. Pull it off the boat. I'm well, it tastes, <laughs> it, it tastes fine. Right? I think that's just oh, how boy. New York works. So what are we, I think we should uh, start this whole Mary uh, podcast by saying just like briefly what we're doing here. Like why, why are two guys from Minnesota and a guy from North Carolina in a, sp- a sp- I call it a hovel, a spacious apartment in. Uh, There's a chandelier, Chuck. There- <laughs> 
Hovels don't come with chandeliers. <laughs> I think I've seen chandeliers like at garage sales uh, back home. Yes, well, this one is installed. Brass and... never goes out of style, guys. Brass um, really All right, I'm going to just take a picture of this chandelier so that yeah. this can go on. That could be the, 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 the cover the image. The cover image of the podcast. There's like, uh, I think there's like uh, something up there on the chandelier. It, there does look to be something. I don't know what uh, that something is. Illicit, yeah. Um, so what are we doing here, precisely? Somebody, I don't, I don't know. You guys just put me on a plane and sent me here. Jim's the boss, so Jim, why don't you? Yeah, Jim uh, is the boss. What are we? Apparently, doing? by law, we are required to have things called board meetings. You guys know those? Are? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Hopefully, the IRS is <laughs> how serious we are. <laughs> board meetings, which uh, actually are going to be quite interesting this time be. around uh, because. Uh, we are embarking on a, a new chapter of Strong Towns and trying to figure out uh, how we organize and run this thing and uh, what in the world it means for all of you out there listening and reading and otherwise interacting with the world of Strong Towns uh, for the future. We have uh, a membership program that we started a little over a year ago. And I have to say, that as it's evolved, as it's gone on, I've been more and more surprised not only by the number of people who have actually signed up to become members, uh, but also just who they actually are. When we had the national gathering and started meeting some of these people, I, I have to. I think when I started the blog back in '08, I obviously as a as an engineer as a planner, I kind of felt like maybe I was writing for engineers and planners. I always said that my my target audience was my dad. Like if I guess like I explained it in a blog to my dad. I can explain it to anyone, but I always kind of assumed that it was a collection of my kind of professional peers who were reading this stuff. And when we started the membership program and we actually started to, you know, find out, okay, who are the people who are stepping up to support us? Who are the people most passionate about this message? Who are the people who want to take action in their own communities? Yes, there's a smattering of professionals, but it's a lot of people from backgrounds that I never would have said, here's our target audience. So we're at this kind of strange place in kind of the growth of this organization where we've been calling it a movement now for some time. And, you know, my wife used to joke with me, you, you call it a, you call it a movement, but you know, what is it? It's you writing a blog, you know? <laughs> But we actually like went over the hill, turned around, and then all of a sudden there is a movement. Like there's all these people there. And now we kind of have to figure out what are we going to do, right? I have to tell you, I'm just picturing right now Kirsty sort of like smiling. Like, oh, oh that, that's cute, Chuck. That's exactly what it's <laughs> like. That's a, she, uh, it's funny because people will say, oh, you know, Chuck, you come across as humble. Yeah, because I live with my wife. <laughs> so she, 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 like, makes sure that I remain, uh, you know. Now, she's a professional writer. She, well, she's a newspaper reporter, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I wonder if you're at the inflection point now, uh, or at what point was the inflection point where the Strong Towns blog has a larger readership than Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, her, her newspaper was like circulation 50,000. Okay. So our readership right now, our, our audience, the way the metrics does it, we're a monthly audience of a little over 30,000. So like it's, I think it was like 31.5 or something like that. 
So, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to creep up on each close. other. But I would suspect, though, that it's like a little harder to tell with a newspaper because a lot of people get newspapers for sort of like legacy reasons and don't necessarily really read them. Well, the, the interesting thing about the newspaper business uh, is that nobody knows how to make money in it right yeah. now. I mean, for years, when she, when she started at the paper she's at now, they their business model was classified ads, right? Uh, kind of standard advertising, you know, the auto dealerships, the retailers and stuff. And subscriptions was a very small part of the overall mix. Now, the classified ads are gone. I mean, they, they still have them, but they're not a significant portion of the revenue stream. You have... Uh, the advertising really being squeezed by online advertising, which, you know, no offense to any people in the newspaper business, is in many ways a better bang for your buck as someone advertising because you can actually only have to pay for the stuff where people actually engage with yeah, your right. ad. There's a there's you get better metrics. There's deeper feedback. You only pay if they click, and if they click, they land on your whole website, which is way bigger than what you could fit. Completely, completely. And I realize there's reasons for advertising newspaper, but it's it's changed. But subscriptions now, all of a sudden, are a big part of the revenue stream. That means you know people aren't paying a ton more for news than they were a decade ago. So that means that the newsroom's gotten a lot smaller, a lot leaner. Uh, the the newsprint itself. I mean, I've watched the paper get smaller, right? Not only in the number of pages, but in the dimensions. Yeah. And so you know, subtly they kind of narrow it down, and I think everybody's trying to figure out how to make that jump to a totally digital product. And you know, because the, the the expense of making, printing, distributing a newspaper is just enormous. If you didn't have that, you could give up a whole ton of the revenue stream and still be, you know, a, a, a viable entity. Right. They're trying to figure that out. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because we do, she doesn't read my stuff and I don't read her stuff. I do read her stuff from time to time because it's very interesting. She's, uh, investigative journalist uh, with a Gannett run a Gannett owned paper. She is the local stringer for USA Today. So she writes, I mean, it's very interesting stuff. And I, I will read it on occasion, but I don't tell her I do. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll be, we won't tell her about this podcast. It's okay. She doesn't be, listen oh, to no, the podcast. Oh, no, she doesn't listen to the podcast. She'd be horrified to right. find out that no. uh, she uh, well, ended but, up on this podcast well, the, of all podcasts. The reason is, is because, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I feel like I can take critiques from people who, how do I say this? Who I don't care about. Like, you know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, Did when, you hear that, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> when you guys give me critiques, I, I, I can ingest them and think them over. When people give critiques on the blog, uh, I've gotten to the point now where like, I don't take the comments personally. You know, I, I listen to them and I, I read and I, I think them over, you know, but the, it, I'm not like comments. deeply wounded. Right. You know, half the comments are just computer generated. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so you really, you really have to just let them. Let you just go them. right. But when my wife, you know, when I ask her, like, would you, would you proofread this? And then she reads it and says, you know, well, I like this, this, and this. It's it, it it's like this is my, I, you know, this is like the person I yeah. admire most in the world. So we've just learned to. Uh, she probably does read my stuff. She doesn't tell me she does. I don't tell her. <laughs> you know, she's... You guys she, have a don't ask, don't tell policy. That's kind so of what it is. 
she is Jack. she is uh she has been very kind in saying that she she thinks I'm a she says you're a good writer. Um but it's interesting because the one thing about like when she has edited my stuff, as a journalist, you write in very short sentences, especially for a Gannett paper. I mean there's a there's like a there's like a formula to it. Right. And when I write, I'm I mean, I need an editor bad. Like, I've never had an editor. I, Whenever I have, I just hate it. I bristle at it. But I go back and I read my stuff, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. That sentence, like, there's, like, four run-on sentences in one long sentence. Now, see, that's an interesting admission because I've edited some of your stuff before, and then it's just disappeared and never, uh, right, never right, showed right. up again. No, I don't like editors. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because the, the thing is, is when I write something, I, we, I, we I learned love... that by experience. Yeah, no. I'm, <laughs> and I, I hope you haven't taken that personally. I, no, I, no. The, the thing is, is that when, when you, the stuff that I write, uh, it, it comes out of my brain in a very personal way you're laughing it's, it's a it, it comes out of my way in like a very like deeply personal way and so when people start like messing with it they're actually it's it, it, it it's it's like they're messing with me personally and so i know good writers have good editors and they learn to change their writing style to be better i think i have a long ways to go to become a better writer but right now, with the phase we're in, uh, it's it's comforting to me that I can write something, finish at two in the morning, hit publish, and no one's going to edit it till I get up the next morning and find like three spelling mistakes. You know. Well, you know that's all good. Yeah. Well, well people have gotten used to my writing style, so. Yeah. They, they, we do appreciate the personal angle. That's true. Hey, let's uh, make a like a minor pivot here. And okay. uh, Jim, we started talking about membership and how membership has grown over the year. We're here for a board meeting, so let's let's kind of uh, tie some thoughts back together about the organization. So, where are we at in terms of membership right now? Uh, we crossed the five hundred threshold uh, in the intermediate week since we last had a podcast talking about such numbers. So thank you to all of you who have joined since then. We have had it quite a rush this week uh, in particular. I think there has always been this situation where something gets written, something gets produced, and there is a correlation between Facebook repostings and, and the amount of attention some articles get. And more and more in the last year when that has happened, obviously before then we had posts that went blind, but we didn't have a membership system. There was no feedback loop to that. And uh, now, very conveniently, if you scroll the bottom of a, of a blog post, uh, it asks you to become a member. And so I think some people got to the bottom of the post this week regarding our experiences and the things that happened in, in Springfield, Massachusetts, while we happened to be around town. And that really prompted people to take action. And I think that's in part the future of this organization to actually say, you know what, these issues matter. This particular issue really matters, and it's yeah. hard to say whether or not that uh, that that blog post was the reason why that you know twelve or fifteen people joined one afternoon this week. But uh, it's hard to think of another reason why all of a sudden twelve or fifteen people just joined in rapid all succession. In one day. Yeah. It's it's interesting because you know I, I I think one of the organizational critiques that would be very fair of me. <laughs> Is that it's pretty hard to like tell me what to write. 
Um, Jim's tried to do that a couple times, and then I'm then I sit there and look at a blank page uh, for like four hours, and then email him back and say I just I can't write about that. I tend to write about whatever is on my mind at the moment, and while I've I've, I've been able to do a little bit of okay, here's here's the topic I need to write about. Uh, most of it has just come from what's on my mind, what's in front of me. When we've introduced the the membership system, I, I will say. There's things that I've, I feel this like, um, okay, how do I put this? I, I don't want to ever get into the, uh, like the Pavlov's dog thing. Cause there's, there's like half a dozen topics that if I write about them, that I know we're going to get traffic through the roof. It's like, you ever heard of these radio show guys? They say, if you, if you want to get a lot of calls, just talk about abortion, talk about gun rights, talk about one of these issues. Yeah, and like, issues. you just, right. You just. If I write anything about cycling, we will automatically get like 500 reposts, right? I mean, it, just, it goes, it goes absolutely nutty. Yeah. yeah. Um, this week, I did one. I, I wrote about the engineering profession. I wrote about pedestrians and basically engineering ethics, and I wrote about it because I really felt deeply about it. And then I got to the end, and I put the standard, you know, if you appreciate what we do and the work we do. Uh, sign up to become a member. We're trying to get this many members by the end of the year. Here's how close we are. Uh, please help us out. And yeah, like all these people signed up and I felt kind of bad like all day. Like I've been mean, really, we need members. We need people to sign up and support what we do. But I had this like anguish, like, oh gosh, am I exploiting this situation? To... And no, I'm not. I'm just doing, we're just running an organization. But uh, yeah, it was all day. Like as we're boarding, as we're, you know, finish this talk, as we're getting, heading toward the train station, as we get on the train, as we're heading into Manhattan, it's, you know, ding, 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 new members all day. I think we did wind up with like 20 new members that day. Oh, yeah, I couldn't keep track because we were actually trying to get to New York. We were trying to get to uh, to the next stop, uh, trying to get to uh, to Springfield. And, and so it's just uh, a lot to keep track of. And I guess that's one of those... One of those things that has come up now in terms of we think we, we start to have expectations about what this organization is and who we are and who the folks are at the other end of the blog posts or the, or the podcasts. And we consistently wrong, like we consistently like try, <laughs> try to put the fence out there and we can't make a big enough fence. Like we, we like we're, we're reaching the Texas Plains, I think. Dude, there, is, of, there is no fence. There's, There's never been a fence. Yeah, but there, there had, okay, Let, let's go to the, the book that I was working with a publisher on, right? So I'm going to self-publish this book because I, again, don't like editors, don't like publishers. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to have an editor for this book. But, you know, the, the, sitting down with the publisher and going through it, the question was, who's your target audience? And I'm like, a everybody? And they're like, no, that's not a target audience. That's like the, you know, the entire possible universe. Who is your target audience? And, and what Jim and I have found is that the more we try to enunciate, like, here is our target audience, here's the people listening to us, the more we're just completely blown away with who actually is. Yeah. For example, this week we're in Springfield, Massachusetts. Who brought us to Springfield? A high school Spanish teacher. You know, yeah. if you like, demo, like demogra who's your target audience? High school Spanish teachers sure. Sure. are not part of that. You know, that we started this by talking about we got over the hill and turned around and looked. there's a movement building. Right, right. I think that's 
how you know it's actually happening. Right. Because the the point is, with anything with anything you look at that's uh, you know uh, may, maybe even a paradigm altering uh, um, you know event within a profession. Right. Right. You have a target audience. Your target audience is architects. Which is, this is going to change architecture. This book's going to change architecture. Or right. we have a target audience: engineers. We're going to change engineering. Right? right, but those are not movements. Those are professional, or maybe you could say it's a movement in the industry. Right, but you know that's not what we're about. This is you know strong towns. Towns are everyone. Towns are all of us. Yeah, that's that's everyone. But, and if yeah. we try to fence that off, it doesn't really fit what we're doing, and that's why the fences don't stick. This is the George, you know, yeah. and, and and really, I mean, the story I tell about George is meant to. Uh, empower people and make them feel empowered because they, they should. It's also meant to put me and others with a professional technical persuasion kind of in their place because the whole story of George is compelling because I explain how my expectations were that I should be meeting with powerful, important people. I should be meeting with the mayor. I should be meeting with uh, other professionals like me who can actually do something about these problems. And then you wind up just meeting with this guy who runs a daycare of his house and plays trombone in the church choir and, you know, church band. And you're like, this is massively disappointing because I'm wasting my time. Who is this guy? He's not, you know, not going to do anything, right? We love you, George. Yeah. Well, but then you, you step back and you, you look and you have to be humbled by the fact that I was completely wrong. And, you know, that, that the person who makes a difference is George. It, it is, you know, him going out there and actually saying, look, I'm going to take ownership of this block. I'm going to take ownership of this walk to school. I'm going to take ownership of my downtown. I'm going to show up and make a difference. I, this, I can do this. All of a sudden, he is, to me, like the quintessential, um, you know, the, the, the quintessential metaphor for this whole movement. Yeah. A guy who I think a standard professional-oriented organization would completely discount, yet is really the heart and soul and the core of who our members are. So, so can, I, can I do a quick readout here? Because I think this is what's always so fascinating, especially when we end up having any situations where like, we get this run of members. Like, yeah. Because you're like, okay, well, a bunch of people responded to this. Well, did they respond because they were from New England? Did they respond because of what? Like, but then you read like where everyone's from, and you're like, Cranberry Isles, Maine. Uh, we are in uh, Seattle, Washington. Uh, British Columbia. Uh, we are in. Uh, this is all like in order of the people signing up over yeah, those right. last couple of days. Oakland, California. West Palm Beach, Florida. Is that insane? St. Paul, Minnesota. No, it's insane. San Diego. Uh, Brainerd. We got Brainerd of all places. No way. Go back to that one. Let me see if I know. Tampa Bay, Florida. Do you know Matt? Yeah, I do. Oh my gosh. Wow. Thanks, Matt. (laughs) And and then Burlington, Iowa. Uh, Richmond, Virginia. Hey. Lexington, Massachusetts. Charleston, South Carolina. Listen to that. Indianapolis, Indiana. Providence, well, that's somewhere close by to where we were so, at. Chuck, let me tell you, you're talking about George and, yeah. and initially feeling disappointment. 
Yeah. But from my point of view, yeah. Bentonville, the reason Cleveland. I was excited about Strong Towns when I when I ran into you and started realizing what was going on with Strong Towns, as someone who had come from inside the world of sort of urbanists and seeing you and all this stuff, is that all those people talk to the mayor all the time right? <laughs> because they're in the echo chamber, yeah. right? Yeah. And what they never succeeded in doing is yeah. getting regular people who run a daycare and play trombone right. to give a crap at all about anything they have to say. It never mattered to regular people. Yeah. And something about the unedited, off-the-cuff, just talking about how things are, trying to explain it like you'd explain it to your dad, somehow leaked out into the real world and people cared. Right. And that's a big deal. And for all of us who are are sort of on, a, a, a lot of the strong towns people are kind of on the line. I, I used to be in the architecture and development world. I do software now, so I'm, I'm not really in the world so much anymore. You know, there's a lot of us who have been either either weren't part of this in the past and got in, or were in and got out, or whatever. But a lot of us have seen this and seen, hey, strong towns is actually leaking out to the real world. That's a big difference. Right. And for the people who are the still full time professionals, it's the same thing. Hey. Like, I care about this stuff, but there's no political will. Like, people don't get it. Everybody's, like, very complacent and happy with the status quo, and I want to see change, but I can't get anybody to care. Right. And what's so exciting about Strong Towns is that it's like we're finally, we're finally trying to figure out, and we're getting, we're, we're learning as we go, lots of trial and error, lots of hard-earned lessons, but, you know, we're finally figuring out ways to talk to people and bring up these issues where they can understand and care, right? And that is what has needed to happen for you know two generations. I, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it's 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 interesting to me because when I meet with the the technical people now, and you know we, we go back even like with CNU with some of our friends there, uh, and some of the the kind of elder generation there who are the meeting with the mayors all the time and you know get have access to power and all that. Um, they they have a hard time getting us. They assume right? that we're meeting the same people they're meeting. That's with. exactly what they assume that we're like following that same strain. And I, I try to explain to them, like, no, not exactly. And and they'll they'll want me to get involved in some you know group who's going to meet you with this person on the regional planning oh, commission. Exactly. Like <laughs> you know, well, we really need to get you on this advisory council for this and that. And I just like that. That's not. That's not where the action is. That's not. That's not where the change is, where the is happening. Is. That's where the problem is. Amen. So, the thing that has kept me awake at night for the last, you know, handful of months, uh, and I, I think you know you and Jim to some extent as well, is all right. We crested the hill. We turned around. We look. There's this movement now. Like there's all these people there. Um, and they're bringing in more people every day. And Jim just read where they're from. They're not from Brainerd and Minneapolis. Uh, you know, they're not from the Midwest. They're from everywhere. They're from everywhere. They're from big cities. They're from small towns. They're from places that are growing, places that are stagnating. And when we actually delve in and say, who are these people? They're not, they're, they're the people who care. They're George over and over and over. So the question becomes, what kind of an organization does Strong Towns become so that those people continue to not only add to their numbers, but become more and more and more effective? 
we've we've categorically said from from day one, we do not want to be an organization that has, I was going to say two hundred staff, twenty staff. I mean, we we're 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 not an organization that wants to like beef up and try to get in every city and change everything, but we want to see all that change happen. We're trying to figure out how do we take the the Georges of the world, give them a vocabulary, a language that they can talk to my dad about, right? In their community, help them customize it for their place so they can talk from their heart about their place, but yet go toe-to-toe with the technical professionals and be able to, you know, speak to that. How do we arm them, equip them, give them the stuff they need and get them out there and help them build a local network so that they can start changing their place. And to not pile on with just the Georges, as we've we've been we've been meeting with folks here in New York this week already. We've had a number of meetings. We're gonna have several more actually. We have an event tomorrow, which we're gonna probably meet a whole bunch more people who live because we've not been in New York anywhere recently. Right. And so we're we've gotten a pretty interesting response already, but being that it is New York. I'm sure most of these folks are just going to show up and be brought by other people who probably even never heard of Strong Towns. That's what happened when we were in D.C. a couple months ago. And I think it will probably also happen here. There's only, I hear about, there's 20, 25 million people floating around this, these parts. So I imagine like they most can get here by train. So uh, who knows, we'll show up. What, what percentage will We're at a brewery in Brooklyn. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? But nonetheless, I think there's also this idea that there are lots of folks who fall in the technocrat category. Folks who are trapped within the current system know better, but have a limited operational capacity. They can only move so far uh, without really sticking their neck out, you know, uncomfortably. And we also need to help those folks find the activists in their community and help them nurture those activists in a way that is maybe outside their traditional job description, but in a way that allows them to cre- it creates the, the public demand, the wow. people who care in a community. Because with a that, lot of the guys, that is the that is the way that actually we can work together, right? We need both, both yeah. as well as elected officials, the folks we see before. But that skill set's not taught in planning school or engineering school or architecture school. We actually are taught more or less to defend, right? We have to to figure out a way to convince other people right. of our ideas, right. uh, as opposed to be observational, as opposed to be engaging, as opposed to taking our position as jobs, right, as we have, but also part of that job is to figure out a way to enable our effectiveness. And sometimes that happens outside of the nine to five window. And so if there are people in our community that we can engage with who can help us uh, create that space to move in the direction that we all want to go in, um, that's also, I think, something that is on the docket for us, which again is not what you go to APA or CNU or like there are no mechanisms within professional organizations which are actively doing that either. Right. So another void that we're hoping to fill because it's very similar to the skill set that the advocates need as well. Right. I think that what we're going to... What you're talking about there, the sort of bridging from the people who are inside the system to the people who are outside the system. There's a lot of people who... A lot of places where the people inside the system are in two camps. One camp that really likes and believes in the status quo. And essentially, we want to see those people leave the profession because they're just not helping. They <laughs> be, become in positions where they're not empowered at all, right? Yeah, well, yeah. basically, 
you know, basically go away. Right. And the other people, <laughs> the other people who... Well, Ladies you know, and gentlemen, the chair of the Strong Towns Board. The we yet, want you to leave. Or the other the other group of people that's in there are either... Well, actually, there's maybe three camps. There's people who are like actively problems. There's people who are essentially unopinionated. There, there's there's a kind of personality that I don't I don't understand very well, but I there's a certain guardian bureaucrat type that just shows yeah, up and does their job exactly. the best they can. The, and the, it's interesting. The model bureaucrat really is a unique skill because someone who is a, a real like model bureaucrat is someone who is willing to basically be unopinionated and carry out faithfully carry out orders. Right. Carry and that's tasks. that's I'm yeah. I'm not that personality. It's hard for me to really relate, but I have a lot of respect for someone who can say like. You know, hey, someone has to be the public steward who carries out the orders, right. even if they don't always like make perfect sense or whatever. Like, you right. know, that's the way the system's supposed to work. And, and those people are not a problem. Those right. people just need good directions to be given to them, and they will happily go along and and make good stuff happen. You know, and they'll be excited to see better results. And then we have the the final camp, which is sort of the the itchy advocates who who would like to sort of rabble rouse and get things but they can't because they they are inside the system and if they are the ones going out and marching in the streets right. they'll be fired and then they're out of their system they're subversive along a scale yeah. a scale being at the one end i'm sympathetic but i can't do anything about it right and the other end like i'm going to stand up and like throw down the gauntlet at a meeting and have the respect of nobody and possibly lose my job Right, right. So, so the people on that paradigm, like, how do we? And for all of that, for all them? of those people, the help, or the, the thing that makes change is a change in the political climate and a change in the political will, and that happens by significant, widespread cultural change, where the letters and phone calls that city council and mayors and staff are getting are loudly in favor of a, of a particular agenda. You know, when you see entire cities get worked up about, you know, bicycle safety, then all of a sudden you start getting bike lanes, right? Like right. these things, these things follow a logical succession, right? And the issue is in the past has been, there's lots of these like small single issues that have kind of gotten traction and, and been able to sort of, sort of tilt but when we talk about strong towns, what we're talking about is this whole large connect, interconnected picture of the way that we live, the very way that we live, the way that our whole system operates. It's all interconnected and it's all part of the same complex system. And we're talking about essentially how is that system as a whole broken right now? And I feel like that's, that's like the tip that we're trying to get over that like, it's not just bike lanes. It's not just right. finance. It's right. not just, you know, your zoning ordinance needs to be calibrated just so it's this pattern, the overall pattern of development we talk about. Right. And people are starting to be able to see that. And we're the organ we we are the the group that is sort of in the middle of all these other little circles of single interest people trying to help everyone see how they're all connected and see if we can start to tip the scales so that you're not just getting people calling the city and asking for bike lanes but you're getting people calling the city and saying it's time for a productive pattern of development right and like actually being able to understand what that means as soon as you get the the bike people advocating for accessory dwelling units right exactly and the you yeah. know the uh the the church people you know advocating for bike lanes and the uh you know the the businesses advocating for you know shared spaces and you know right. nice parks now you're starting to get somewhere right now people are seeing those interconnections and how 
there's a there's a positive feedback loop to a productive place. And our our goal is to help shepherd and build that movement. And it's yeah. it's happening and it's exciting. I think we're here this weekend. We're going to talk a lot about how can we do that. But I think Chuck, I think you've already given us the motto that it's applied to everyone in the audience and everyone who's a member. But I think it applies to all of us inside Strong Towns as well. Or I mean, you know, the people who are the, the staff and the board and so on, the leaders in Strong Towns. And that's we just have to keep doing what we can right. to build Strong Towns. We're going to just learn every day. And I think all the people who we meet and all these new members who have joined are all going to throw amazing ideas at us and are going to just go do stuff and find out what happens. And I think we're going to be, you know, as time goes on, I think we're going to be more and more kind of just along for the ride and trying to help steer where we can. But, you know, we're just going to going to see what happens. So I think it's going to be have, exciting. Uh, we have big things coming for January. So Chuck and I are grounded for January because, uh, well, not a lot's gotten done the last six weeks while we've been flying around <laughs> the country. Uh, and so uh, we are going to be having a number of virtual events and perhaps some in-person ones locally, um, some maybe near you, not with us, but with each other and, and the now 500 plus members that we have. So uh, stay tuned for that. We are trying to put together, we have some, some things that we're trying to knock off the list, uh, get some things organized. Uh, also, we have a stack of index cards from the National Gathering, some things we'd like to talk about there, some things that we discovered about our members, things, skills and ideas, as well as revisiting some of the topics and thoughts uh, from that weekend. The, the generative thoughts that we had, the Strong Town Strength Test was one of those ideas, but there were others that uh, are still sort of waiting in the pot to be stirred and stewed and uh, marinated some more. So uh, that is in part what's, uh, what is coming in January to try to get those things out and about, a bit of sharpening of the saw to do uh, with some of our internal ideas, as well as uh, trying to do a couple things that have people have requested. And I'm going to throw a few of these things out just because I want you to let you know that we haven't forgotten about them or we haven't ignored your email. Uh, but it uh, had to be organized in such a time that we actually might actually do something about it. So uh, that includes, uh, all for all those of you who are members, uh, and we made a, a change in our website this fall. And that change uh, basically created a, a, a rift in the backlog of our blog posts, uh, which disrupted some of our images and some of the things. We're, we're trying to get that fixed. Uh, Mr. Burleson here may actually be able to do some of his technical wizardry. Uh, we have a couple ideas to try to, to do that. Thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Uh, well, this is what this board meeting is all about. Um, Squarespace kind of left us hanging a little bit in the transition. Maybe they've gotten something to fix it with. But a lot of you have emailed us saying, hey, we're missing these links. And we're like, yeah, yeah. The problem is, is that we have a lot of images over five years of blog posts. And unfortunately, we have to find some more automated way to fix that. But we can't manually go back. and I've done like the most popular blog posts, most of them, but... You know, I get I get requests all the time too, like where are the images here? And I'm like, oh gosh, there's working still on it. We got to fix it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's in the works, we'll as well time. as reorganizing some things. We realize that uh, coming up on five years and 200 podcasts, we were very close to 200 podcasts, and so we have a lot of stuff floating around. And those of you who maybe are new to following Strong Towns uh, probably haven't had the free time necessarily to start from blog post or podcast number one and work your way. Uh, very uh, methodically through, and so uh, neither have we. Uh, but please, we do. please don't. <laughs> um, and so we need to uh, actually uh, get those things organized. And uh, we're as a part of 
being a member, uh, we're going to actually do a best of archive, essentially, and the things that were most requested and organize them a bit. And so we're going to be looking for your help uh, and organize some virtual work sessions so that those of you who have been listening for quite a long time and probably know a lot about the further back reaches of some of the things that are still very well read in our in our uh, day-to-day readings, people coming to Strong Towns for the first time. Um, we have some things like that we're trying to organize so that we are more ready to have more people join and become followers of Strong Towns and get the things that we're most known for um, more easily. So as well as many of you who are organizing events, local activities, and want to share specific things but can't ever find them, uh, and we don't actually have enough ability to always respond to every single email we get to tell you where it's at. So hopefully, uh, collectively as a community, uh, we can join up and uh, figure a few of those things out uh, to help everybody. So uh, some things like that are in the works to uh, help uh, all of you uh, help us get the word out about Strong Towns. Yeah. Can I can I say one last thing? Because I, I, we do get a lot of requests to do things. And I mean, obviously, I, I know you've got my schedule. You emailed me a while back, like two weeks ago, saying, here's your schedule for 2015. And you had dates in September that I'm already scheduled <laughs> for. And, you know, we're in the beginning of December now. So, you know, we, we, we have an, an immense amount of demand for our time, for the stuff that we're doing. We get this request all the time. And, and I, I want to... I want to let people understand our philosophy and the way we're approaching this because it really ties into our whole thoughts on just what a strong town is as well. We're not out trying to land, you know, millions of dollars of grants so that we can staff up and, you know, meet every one of these requests. We would like to. I mean, that would be, but there's a part of me that says if someone like gave us, $2 $2 million today, we probably screw it up. And what we are doing is we are building this organization the way that we think people need to build strong towns, slowly, incrementally over time. We're responding to the demands. Uh, we're trying to meet those. Uh, we're relying on the support from our membership to, if we're ever going to add staff or, or move on to the next level. We want to be in a position where we're going to be here a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, as long as we are needed, we want to be a a viable organization. That means that we're not going to be able to respond to everything as quickly as we'd like to. It also means in a parallel track, there's a lot of opportunities for people who want to do things to step up and make a difference. A lot of the stuff that we've done this year that has been fantastic has been because our members have done it. Uh, People who have volunteered their time, I mean, I could, there's a long list of people. I'm not even going to try to start right now to list them. I'm going to try to do that in a blog post at the end of the year just because they deserve to be recognized. But people who have helped us get the podcast site up and running, people who have helped us uh, archive different things, people who have helped us research different things. This is an amazing outpouring of people, people who have done blog posts, uh, you know, who have come forth with new ideas. Let me just put this out there to, to anybody listening. If, if there's something that we should be doing, that you think is critical to this movement, if you want to do it, do it. You know, if you want to be like part of making those things happen, get a hold of us and we'll try to help you find a platform to do it. Uh, Because more than anything else, uh, we are uh, reliant on our members to kind of lead us to the next step. And that's not just a 
kind of platonic soundbite, that's like literally an actionable thing. Jim spends a lot of his time organizing people uh, and, and trying to, you know, help people help us. We've had some amazing people step up and raise a ton of money to bring us to their communities so we can have these deep engagements. That's been incredible. Uh, if you are in a position where you see something that you think we need to be doing, do it. I mean, th this is like your organization too. So get a hold of us and we'll figure out how to make you part of uh, that machine that we're uh, slowly and incrementally trying to build. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I think so. Well, guys, I think that was a really good summary of where we've been the last year. What are we doing right now and where do we think things are headed next? I was thinking that we would start this with a podcast short, but this has definitely turned into a podcast medium long. We're at about, <laughs> at about four, 43 minutes. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll stop this recording and uh, uh, leave you on this uh, as always. I'm surprised that we would go on and on longer than planned. I, I just want to point out, I told Jim that if we started talking, no matter what we talked about, we were going to talk at least 20 minutes. <laughs> And I was under by half. You scoffed at me. You were like, no. no we we, I was quickly. under by half. Though I scoffed so, at you because I was totally intending that we do an entire podcast. I'd stick around for that one. Then you guys will actually do the real podcast. I was trying to get you guys to start doing the real place. So onward to the real podcast. Yeah. Thank so you, we'll, guys. So we'll cut this one as a, as a podcast shorter, podcast extra, podcast bonus edition. And uh, this will be podcast one ninety eight. The next one we do will be one ninety nine. Okay, all right. Uh, so, we won't. We won't do. Well, we'll let. Maybe they can be recorded in a slightly different order, though, because I know we've got some special ideas planned for two hundred. So. <laughs> so, all right. And on that note, everybody, thanks for listening. Please keep doing what you can to build strong towns. that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Probably the most significant public space failure in America designed by the leading architects of the day, Harry Cobb and I.M. Pei, Boston City Hall Plaza. A public place so dismal that the winos don't even want to go there. <laughs> and we can't fix it because uh, I.M. Pei is still alive. And every year, Harvard and MIT have a joint committee to repair it. And every year they fail to because they don't want to hurt I.M. Pei's feelings. This is the other side of the building. This was the winner of an international design award in, I think, 1966, something like that. It wasn't Pay and Cobb, another firm designed this, but there's not enough Prozac in the world 
to make people feel okay about going down this block. This is the back of Boston City Hall, the most important, you know, significant civic building in Albany, uh, excuse me, in, in Boston. And um, uh, what is the message that is coming, what are the vocabularies and grammars that are coming from this building, and how is it informing us about who we are? This, in fact, would be a better building if we put mosaic portraits of Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, uh, Saddam Hussein, and all the other great despots of the 20th century on the side of the building, because then we'd honestly be saying what the building is really communicating to us. You, you know, it's a despotic building. It wants us to feel like termites.